Good morning. Our king is exalted high in all the earth, didn't he? Didn't he? We, we, we just ought to give him praise for that reality. Above your problems, above your issues, above your circumstances, our God is exalted high above the earth. I, I don't know about you, but I've had a couple of rough weeks, but I know my God is exalted. He's bigger than my problem. He's bigger than my situation. I will not be reduced to afraid, but I will stand on the name of the Lord because it's high amongst all the earth. What a God we serve. You ought to open your mouth and give him praise right now. He's a God that's worthy. He's a God that's worthy. He's a God that's worthy. Worthy is the name of our God and King. Hallelujah to our King. Hallelujah, Jesus. I know it gets rough sometimes, but our God is exalted. High on all the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I thank God for my wife. We're talking about anniversaries. My wife, Angel. Praise God for you, babe. Love you. March 29th will be our 14th year. Amen. Amen. Getting married in a lot of controversy. Marrying a white woman. Folks said... Oh, y'all ain't going to make it because she liked quiche and you like collard greens. <laughs> See, she listened to Pink Floyd and you listen and you listen in the loose ends. It ain't going to work. Fourteen years. Thank you, Jesus. Three sons. Thank you, Jesus. All born again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Doug is my name. I'm the Connections pastor here. Y'all still laughing at collard greens. Y'all greedy. <laughs> She'll get me later for that. Pastor Doug is my name. I'm the Connections pastor here. And I know y'all say, what is that? My job is to connect you, see that you're living connected to Christ, connected to one another, and connected to unbelievers on mission for Christ. I'm also a church plant resident. Um, Pastor Mason and his D-men wrote an urban church plant residency program to fuel and equip church planters to go out and be more effective and to protect their families from the loneliness and the great distance of church planning. He came from Little Rock, Arkansas, landed in Philly, started with nine. And for those months, he drifted around at different churches doing ministry. The beauty is for me with my loving family at Epiphany, I'm just here. And when I get sent to go plant, I'll be going to Camden, New Jersey. Amen. And uh, I, I don't have to deal with that loneliness because 10 minutes from here is Camden. I'll just stay here and suck down all y'all stuff. <laughs> Till it's time to go. Amen. So I go from family to family. My children stay within this family till we go to family. Amen. Amen. So praise God. Let's get into this text. I don't want to play with my time no more because y'all going to be booing me when it's time. Philly flavors be opening in a minute. Y'all going to be ready to get y'all stuff. <laughs> Isaiah 55. I've got to do. Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray, and then I'm going to read this passage. 
Father, you, you are high, exalted high in the earth. Might we be those who exalt you, not just with our lips, but with our lives. Might we find you most beautiful. Might we not dare waste affections on any other because none other can satisfy. But might we place all our affections on you, the one who satisfies. So, Father, walk us through this word um, that I might come through with clarity and there, there, there might be gospel fruit in the lives of um, this vine, this branch of Zion Epiphany Fellowship. So be with us in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of introduction, I got to do a backdrop of this, of, of where I'm going. I'm going to Isaiah 55. I'm going to read that. But in the middle of that, I need to lay out um, what Isaiah is prophesying at the passage I'm going to preach. So bear with me. I'm going to give you some scriptures to lay this thing out. But let me read Isaiah 55 for your hearing. Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people's a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God the, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Amen. This, pa- this, this passage is a passionate appeal by Isaiah, the prophet, to the people to return and find spiritual nourishment in Yahweh's provision. Simple. Calling men to open their eyes to the richness of God's free gift of grace as he offers them to come and have their thirst quenched through faith in him and repentance in, the name, in his name. So by way of backdrop, we see Isaiah 6 which, I'm gonna, which is going to come up here. This is, by theologians, often called the hardening motif. The hardening motif. Because Isaiah was to grow the church from thousands to hundreds. I hope you got that. <laughs> he was to grow the church from thousands to hundreds. He was going to preach. What an assignment. Go preach till ain't nobody there. And that's when you're successful. <laughs> In other words, they were hardening their hearts to the people. They would turn from God. Look what Isaiah says. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and the blind and blind their eyes, lest they see with their hearts and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? He already asked him. How long? (laughs) Amen. He said, until cities lie waste without inhabitation and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land to the places deserted. You keep preaching, Isaiah. 
Let me put it in context for you. Back in chapter 53, Isaiah described in amazing detail 700 years ahead of the time how Christ would come and suffer and bear the sins of God's people and die in our place and rise again. 53.1, look what it says. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, old church, they just say surely. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all, somebody ought to say all have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is the booming substitution that Yahweh was going to provide. Because now remember in Isaiah 6, folk was going to dull their ears and, and, and turn from the Lord. And he was supposed to preach until the places were a desert and desolate. Now this is the prophetic promise of God. Um of this, this, this suffering servant, this one who was innocent, but that would pay the price for the guilty. So now we move to the promise. Isaiah 54, 2 through 3. He says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtain of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Let me read that for you from that message because it explains it for you so sweet. Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out. He's telling this to this covenant that he's going to be calling folk in. Spread out. Think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive your tent pegs deep. You're going to need a lot of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle the abandoned city. See the promise there? In other words, the awesome blessing that would come to the people of God because of Christ's death, this suffering servant, Isaiah 53, and his resurrection, it is that all the nations would be touched. So Christ's redemption is not just for the Jews. It's not just for us, but it's for all nations. My last piece, Isaiah 54, 7 through 8. For a brief moment, I deserted you. Mm. But with great compassion, I will gather you. He's not going to do it out of duty. He's going to do it out of beauty of his name. In flowing and overflowing anger, for a moment I hide my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord who? Your Redeemer. So you see where we went? And at, at that promise, and because of that suffering servant, we, the prophet now stands at Isaiah 55, and what's the first word he says? Come. 
everybody who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. See, this is an invitation for all to come. The suffering servant has paved the way. This is no doubt the universal call for everyone to come. In other words, the suffering servant who is Christ our Lord has paved the way for all who are spiritually thirsty, spiritually parched, hope famished and empty. He says, come. I love the simplicity of the word come. He doesn't invite them to bring suitcases and all that. He just says, come. In a world with books and Bible software and lexicons, I don't mind a simple come. He begins with a metaphorical layout and of the calling out of all people to come. It almost sounds like he's a street hustler, you know, down on broad, you know, with the little cart with all the little fake bootleg Louis Vuitton. When you walk by, he's like, yo, I got that Louis Vuitton. Five dollars. <laughs> it costs 500, but today for you, five dollars. <laughs> he's saying, come in the street hustler mode. Isaiah is making an urgent and passionate plea to the people. He's calling to all to come and have their needs met. He says, come to the waters, the refreshment for the exhausted. Come. Ho is, the, ho is the actual Hebrew word there, which begins to intensify the call. See, at a funeral, the rabbi would start off that word there can translate alas or woe. So it's a calling to attention of the reality of the mess. So a rabbi at a funeral would say alas. And then everybody would look up and he would start. The homily. So he starts off there with, let me get your attention, please. Let me get your attention. You need to come. The call comes without discrimination to everyone who is thirsty. He calls out for all to come, not just to the water, but to come to wine and milk without money. That wine and milk talks about the, the abundance and the, and the, and the, the gourmetness. Of, the, of, of what he's providing for nourishment. And he says, come without money. He says, come buy it without price. Yahweh says, come, it's free. And it, and it, is, a, it is as if he is saying, no coupons needed. I don't know about you, but I use coupons. Just come. Your money's not good here. Come, get all you want. No cost. Sounds like the gospel. He goes further in verse 2, asking rhetorical questions. He asks, why do you spend money on that which is not bread? Essentially, why do you spend and exhaust all your energy? Why do you waste all your money on useless food? Why do you work? Why do you labor for useless stuff that does not satisfy? Unending non-fulfillment. Verse 2 and first do peace, he then calls out and says, listen diligently, emphasizing the urgent nature of the call. He's screaming, hear me, hear me, change your diet and eat what is good. He's calling for all people to eat rich food. He's talking about sustenance. He's not talking about no Big Mac and no greasy fries. He, he's talking about some sustenance as opposed to junk food that doesn't fulfill and it does not ultimately satisfy. He says, incline your ear. Open wide your ears. He says, come, meaning the word is to obey the invitation. The word, when he says come, he's calling, not just throwing it out there, but he is calling for a response. He says, come. We shift it now 
from metaphor to reality. As we flow down to verse 3, he says, incline your ear and come to me. No longer just come, but come to me, the personal call from Yahweh to the people. He's, he says, come, personally, come to me. Why? Why should I come to you, Yahweh, that your soul might live? that you might have eternal life. Then the calling of the nations, the sure love of David, or the promises made to David, the king would culminate in one who would be, look at verse, look at verse five, um, verse four, uh, he would be a witness, a leader, and a commander of the peoples. Once this one had been glorified, once this one had been endowed with splendor, once this suffering servant, Isaiah 53, had, had displayed the beauty of his sacrifice, all nations, not some, would come running to the son of David, Jesus, for salvation. So my first point is the invitation for all people to come and be satisfied. And that's verse 1 and 2. Thirst was a major problem for the people of Israel in the Old Testament. In fact, it was a life-threatening problem. They lived in a desert. As Isaiah calls out to the thirsty, we can imagine how the people of Israel who were about to suffer exile must have identified with the desperate feeling of thirst that their forefathers had experienced in times of the disobedience against God. The people have grown comfortable in exile and adjusted to exile as the new normal. They failed to realize the ultimate satisfaction was not there in exile, but in the Holy One of Israel. Do you see what this passage is unpacking? So they went into exile where they weren't supposed to be, but were there for disobedience to God and faithlessness. And so instead of praying to the Lord our God and repenting, they just adjusted their, their normal to misery, and misery became their new normal. Faithlessness became their new normal. I had a friend, and he was a minister, he used to be a sad dude all the time. I said, dude, why are you so sad all the time? He says, I believe God because of my sins has determined that I'm to be miserable for all my life. That's what he says. He says, God is not going to give me happiness because of my sins. I said, you crazy. I didn't have a long exegesis. I said, you crazy. The God I serve, he can show up and show off. The God I serve can break in and break through my situation, my issues, and he can deal with me. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He didn't send some angel, but he sent himself in the form of his son. He says, I will do it. I'm not scared of nothing. I'm undefeated. The gospel is unstoppable. It breaks through my mess. No matter how depressed I might feel, I know my God is able. Dunamis, he has dynamite power to break through my stuff and show me himself that I might bask in his splendor that I might rejoice in his joy and though I'm messed up I still will have joy in the mess I'm still going to rejoice in the storm if the boat rocks I'm going to shout and if the boat is steady I'm going to shout you got to shout no matter what don't wait for God to make you feel better because you feel better because of his son satisfying the wrath so in that we just embrace the reality that he's a God who fills and satisfies 
Your sin ain't bigger than God. That's works religion. Your sin ain't bigger than God. That's weak. Thank you, Jesus, that you're bigger than my sin. Bigger than my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me, my mind goes a little crazy. Mason to say I'm Baptist, but you know. Isaiah now begins to articulate who should come. After he says come, he says everyone who thirst. Everyone, all who are thirsty, and that's in the singular voice, all who are thirsty. And then the imperative, the, the command here is to come. And that's in the plural. That's, that's interesting. That's, that, that's banging Hebrew. T- that's bang. And simple. He says there is, there is enough for all, but each must personally respond. When Isaiah comes, when Isaiah says come to the water, this highlights the existence of the needs and the adequacy of the provision of the water for the thirsty. He then says, you have no money, come. He highlights the poverty of those in deep, serious need. He explains how this purchase which is somehow free to the purchaser. He's screaming, poverty is not a barrier. You know, I, I met a lot of Christians in my day who, I met a lot of people in my day who thought, who had a all I need is theology. I'll tell you what that means. I would meet them, I'd be sharing the gospel on the block, and they'd be saying, oh, Pastor Doug, man, that's a good word. See, I, I'm already good. All I need is to stop smoking. See, all I need is to just move out from this dude who I've been living with for, for, for four and a half years and we behind in our rent. All I need is, I'm good. Other than that, all I need is, are you in all that I need is? Or do you recognize how spiritually bankrupt we are? Do you recognize the total depravity, the complete separation that we are from God? I, I tell you today to recognize it. And it's easy to cry out, a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. Will you be broken today and say, God, I have nothing to bring to the table. And whatever I bring just defiles the table. So take me, Lord, just as I am without one plea. Just as I am. We don't sing that no more. Just as I am. Will you come just as you are? Maybe you're a believer and you haven't been and you're still thirsty. Come. Maybe you're not a believer today and you're thirsty. The same call goes out to you. Come. The invitation is to come. Poverty is not a barrier here. Maybe you've been going to other things for fulfillment and you're still empty. How will you respond to the call to come? Will you ignore the voice of the Lord? Or will you come? Maybe you've experienced feelings of helplessness, desperation before God. Is your life a dry and thirsty land where hope is just something you can't afford? Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you have gone through, there is there emptiness in your heart that won't go away. The hope and the reality of life in Christ is that Jesus will nourish and permanently satisfy. See, he's not a quick fix. He's not a quick high. So you smoke weed, it's a quick high, it wears off, you got to go buy another dime bag. I'm from the hood. I drank Boone's Farm when I grew up. I drank, a, I drank some Thunderbird. <laughs> What's the price? 50 twice. <laughs> 
But soon as that bottle was in, <laughs> y'all crazy. Amen, Doc. But soon as that high wears off, you just got to go back and keep spending all your resources. And it's never going to work. It's never going to work. More just leads to more. More emptiness just leads to more emptiness. Man, drowning in emptiness, I said before. Emptiness. And as we come, he offers this water of eternal life. And we don't just experience his redemption and his deliverance and his just rule, but we experience the removal of our sins through this Messiah, Jesus, and his sacrificial death. So I say to you today, don't fall back from God's call. Come. The passage was written to people who are experiencing a spiritual drought. And I know a few people, me, who experienced that same spiritual drought. And I know a little woman from Samaria. She experienced that drought. John 4 says something about this. Jesus answered her. Now, mind you, Jesus shows up to the well. The woman brought water pots to fill the water pots. Jesus initially engages her, which was crazy. And note that he leads with a racial slur. So you a Jew? What are you doing? Get your hands off my dear park. I just came from the corner store. What are you doing? And he says, now she was an outcast and a misfit. Samaritans were schismatic. They were quarter Jew or quarter something and quarter everything. They weren't authentic Jews, but they tried to live as if they were. And hated by the Jews. Hated by the Jews. So Jesus in his must, the King James says, he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus answered her. When he asked her for that water, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He goes further. In John 4, 13, and Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's some good water. They don't sell that at the corner store. You got to go to the cross to get that water. You, you, can't, you just can't order that and a truck drop it off. You've got to go to the king of kings and you've got to bow down and you've got to worship him and submit your brokenness, your poverty, and say, give me that water. It's expensive water because it costs Jesus his life. That's expensive water. Thank you, Jesus, for that living water. My second point, the cost of the call. So we just talked about the invitation, the great invitation and the call to come to Yahweh's provision. Now we're going to transition to the cost of this call. Isaiah uses interesting language in verse 2. Why spend money on what is not bread? What is an interesting question referring, referring to the idea that wasting energy and money on things that don't fulfill. 
Here's the real question. Why are you spending all your energy and resources on things that will not ultimately satisfy you? He uses the word buy. He keeps using that. He says that this stuff is free. We see the word buy repeated constantly. The idea of the purchase is not set aside. So the purchase is not set aside. It's not a soup kitchen, even though the clients are beggars. You see, there is a purchase price, but it's just not yours to pay. You come and bring your poverty to the transaction that has already, be, has already been completed. Now, that's a deal. That's a real deal. Whew. I remember I had a barbershop in Willenboro for about 10 years. And when I first got there, there was an Andrews Federal Credit Union. And there was this old head I used to cut. He was about 112. And um, that joker lived the lottery. You hear me? You see how you highlight scriptures? He highlight numbers in scriptures so he can play them. <laughs> that joker could come up with some numbers. Every time I was cutting his hair, he'd be talking. I'd be saying stuff. And if I said a number in my sentence, he would write that down. Then he, I say, you know, I got to get one of those, one. <laughs> so he's building up his numbers so he can go play the pick six or whatever he played. Well, one day, that joker hit the lottery. I think it was like the pick six or something. That joker got like 500,000. He was in the store, a little short fella. And he said, hey, Doug, I won that lottery. I don't know why we didn't, they didn't just beat him up and take his money. But this is what happened. After he cashed, he walked away with $190,000 after taxes and shipping and handling, I guess. <laughs> that dude walked away with 190. So I can tell you, trying to buy your way for fulfillment will always cost you. No matter how big the, the, the pleasure that you desire, no matter how much you think you have, you will never find fulfillment, and it's going to cost you more than you put into it. It wasn't free. He thought he had a free prize, a free road to pleasure, but yet it cost him. He was broken three years, and he was over 80. And you know what he was doing last time I saw him? Playing the lottery. That's what we do with stuff. We keep getting more stuff. And this stuff can be Christian stuff. This can be commentaries. This can be iPhones and iPods and all that stuff. This can be books from Westminster Bookstore. This can be, this can be all that Christian stuff. Yet you, we seek to bootleg Christ with a counterfeit and ride it as far as we can, and then add another. But you will go spirit, you are spiritually bankrupt, and you can't borrow your way out. You're going to have to bow your way out. You're going to have to bow to the king. You're going to have to come to him with your broken situation. You, you, you're going to have to get rid of your pride. You can't come there saying, oh, we just messed up some money. We've really been fine for these 10 years, but our money just got messed up. You know it's a recession. Jesus don't want to hear it. He wants to hear you say, I'm broken and I'm in desperate need. What must I do to be saved? Will you come broken or will you come with lip? I struggle.
struggle with lip and repentance. Will you just come and say, Jesus, I have nothing to bring. I come just as I am. He says, good. Amen. The lower you go, the higher he can grow you. <laughs> he, can, he can work with you when you broke, Doc. If you get your hand off the wheel, he can really drive. Stop being a backseat driver and riding a trunk. If Jesus is driving, you'll get there. If Jesus is driving, you'll get there. <laughs> Always reaching over to grab the wheel. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It's an expensive cost for this call. We are broke. He's highlighting that. Many of us waited in line for the iPhone. Remember that? Yeah, waited in line, called out sick, lied. <laughs> lied. <laughs> Didn't do your laundry that month. <laughs> Told your roommate, you know, your banking account was messed up and Bank of America was going to fix it. So if they could be late this month, it would be cool. Stood in line with a tent and a blanket at the Apple store and got your iPhone, the Messiah of cell phones. <laughs> Dave liked that. That was Dave. I saw you, Dave. Octavius made a lot of money during that time when he was at <laughs> You got my eye and started coughing. <laughs> you wasn't really sick. <laughs> but you know what happened? About 30 days, this bill came. Your jaw was disconnected. You called and argued with customer service like it was their fault. You know what you were saying? This phone was supposed to satisfy all my needs. But I've got to keep paying something for it every month if I'm going to be satisfied. I've got to keep paying and putting more money in. Adding apps. <laughs> trying, to get, trying to get on T-Mobile with a fake SIM card. Doing all these things to satisfy. But you know what? It'll never satisfy. Because you can't pay for the redemption that you need as being spiritually broke. You don't have enough jobs. You don't have enough savings. You don't have enough IRAs or rental properties to pay the cost for the sin and the high treason we've committed against a perfect holy God. But I know a one named Jesus who had no problem whipping out his knot of his life and dying on the cross and paid full price and said, give him to me. And he led captivity captive and walked him and paraded us as trophies of his grace. Paid full price. He didn't use no credit card. He didn't pay it later. He paid it full price on Golgotha's Hill on that beautiful, scandalous night, the one Friday in history that saw night twice. He paid full price he paid it he paid it 
didn't send me a bill. He paid it. Do you realize that he paid it? He paid the full cost for our redemption. Didn't send the bill. You got saved in the next month, you were saved. The next month, you were still saved. And then the next month, you were still saved. iPhone bill came three times, and your phone is off, but you're still saved. <laughs> saved. Thank you, Jesus, for paying full cost. And that stuff is often void the character of God. We can be deeply into exegesis of scripture, yet spiritually shallow. Walking through commentaries, spiritually empty. If you know me, you know I love good books and commentaries, yet they can never replace the filling of the Holy Ghost. To make it plain, it's free to the elect, but it cost the Son of God his life. The cost has been covered. Jesus brutally murdered, yet innocent of all charges. Enduring torment to satisfy the Father's demands for our sin. So when I think about Jesus and money and material, and I think about health and wealth, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, preaching, it makes me angry. I don't like that. So when I think about his goodness, see, that's the heart of Reformed theology is the absence of man in salvation. It's fully God. The heart of Reformed theology is Jesus saves and him alone. I don't see. I don't want to argue predestination. I want to think about Jesus. I want to bask in the reality of the salvation that he's given. I want to rejoice in the fact that I have nothing to bring. I'd rather, to quote Kirk Franklin, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. How many would rather have Jesus than these things? How many would rather have Jesus? He satisfies. These other things are all fading. So Epiphany, I say to you, let's love one another as a community of kindness. Let's wash one another's feet. Let's serve one another. Let's pray together. Let's bear each other's burdens. When I reflect on the cross and its filthiness, its death and the murderous dynamic, and I thank God for going to such a filthy place for our sins. So it's easy to share in salvation when you haven't chipped in nothing. See, if somebody comes to the table and says they paid more than you, so they get four pieces of pizza, you all, the rest of y'all get one apiece. We all come to the table paying nothing. We haven't chipped in on salvation at all. It's Jesus alone. He's paid full price. So let's share and bask in the beauty of the Lord as we love one another and show off to a broken city, a broken world, how we love one another. Might we be marked not by beastly exegesis, but by beastly people who love unlovable people, who, who get through and go through, though we disagree, though we struggle with one another. Might love be the mark. Might joy of the Lord be our strength. And might people in North Philly who have been taken from so much, might they see us give them the love of God with everything we do. Might that be our mark. Might that be our reality. And might we enjoy him in ourselves. Might we do that. Let's, let's enjoy. 
Sometimes you just got to enjoy Jesus, man. You got to turn off the radio. Pastor, he always says that. You just got to enjoy Jesus. I, I can't hit the high note, but when you ain't looking, I try to sing. <laughs> I'm just enjoying Jesus off key. I'm really not off key. It's just a deacon's key. <laughs> The cross should lead us to a reverence, an awe, spirit-filled worship. The last point, and my time is about out, the covenantal character of the call. We transition from metaphor in verse 1 and 2 to actual as we begin to zoom in on the covenantal aspects of the call. Look at the bottom part of verse 3. I mean the top. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Incline your ear and come. Jesus himself is the feast. Why come? Because there's a promise that your soul will live. You might come and have life and be satisfied. It's this promise of eternal life. Just as true food restores the body that is worn down from eating, so the food of the Lord's word brings the, the whole person to the life that is life indeed. True life in Christ. Come with ears wide open and find life is what he's screaming. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. In other words, the suffering servant who is Christ our Lord has paved the way for all who are thirsty to come. And he's not backing out on his promise. That's the covenantal character of the call. So he says, incline your ear. This word is used also in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, remember in the initial layout, we went to Isaiah 6 and we showed how Isaiah was going to preach until the cities were desolate. We saw in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant had tore down the barrier because the people were so spiritually bankrupt, they couldn't get to God. But this suffering servant has now paved the way. He tells us in, 40, in 54 that, there's, that of the promise of this great feast, this great invitation for all, not just the Jews to come. But he says, incline your ear. Now, in Isaiah 6, the first incline your ear, I want you to notice. He said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully. That's the word for incline your ear. But do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. So you see, they wouldn't listen. They would not incline their ear. But now, 53, the suffering servant has borne our griefs. The chastisement of our mess was on him, and by his stripes we were healed. 54, he says, get ready, make your tent wide, because so many folk is coming. We got to 55, 1, and he said, come. Now you can come. The suffering servant has paved the way. So that incline your ear, now they can respond. So when he says incline your ear, listen intently. They needed a response. The call calls for a response. The call calls for a response. They would not incline their ear in the beginning, and now they can because of the suffering servant. I want to go to one more passage so I can lay this out and then land this plane. And then he talks about this shoot that's going to come from Jesse. 
There shall, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Then the next passage, we see this. I'm sorry, go back. That's all I got there. Okay. The covenantal character, God keeps his promises of restoration to the nations. He promises the branch that would come from Jesse, King David's dad, Jesus, who is David's son. He is the righteous branch. So the, the, the covenantal character of the call is this, that David will have an unending, enduring line, this messianic lineage. Yahweh promises to keep the promise of David forever. The servant and David are the same person. The Davidic king is none other than Jesus. The proof that he is God's king is seen in his resurrection from the dead. And we see it preached. Let's go to Acts 13. Look what he says. And we bring you the good news that what, that what God promised to the forefathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. Hallelujah. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That's good. He's got co the covenantal character. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that, those, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. Of Moses. His promise will stand as long as his son lives. Amen. And his son lives forever. <laughs> Take comfort in knowing that his son lives forever. And God is a promise keeper. He's not like us. He's not like us when we lie and say we're going to be there and we're not. He's not like us. He's always there. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not like us. He keeps his promises. He's, he's not a deadbeat dad. Nobody has to come after him for child support. He takes care of his children. He's a worthy God who's, who always shows up, never late, always on time, and he always has a good gift himself. He's a promise-keeping good God. So as I understand the covenantal character, we can find great surety in this. We see this in this word. Look at verse 3. In. He says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love. That's the word in the Hebrew for hesed. That's, that's a good word. This word is hard to translate because it's so non-human. It's so hard to explain in human words. It's so selfless. I define it as the constant, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of our God the Father. So he is relentlessly and furiously coming after broken people. Not waiting for them to get fixed up, but while we were yet sinners, he died. 
Like the prodigal son, it should be called the loving father because the son has rehearsed all his lines. He's stinking. He's in the pit and he comes running. His father doesn't say, take a shower and then we'll talk. But his father leaps off the porch and hugs him in his filth. And he says, my son has come home. What a father. He constantly pursued him. Notice he leaped off the porch. He didn't say, you say, sorry, then we'll talk. But he embraced him. That's what it was when we got saved. We just came walking into the God that we sinned against and blasphemed. And he embraced us by his grace. Might we share that with any and all that many might come. Might North Philly be known as the place where so many folk got saved because of revival that started with repentance that started with us. Might we spark a revival in this place by repenting, not preaching loud and long, but repenting and having brokenness before God. He's constantly, ever faithful, relentlessly pursuing and lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, his furious love. Might we have that for one another and for the lost that many might come to faith in Jesus. As I close, we see this fleshed out in Pentecost, don't we? There was a bunch of thirsty people from all nations, a bunch of thirsty Jews. Jesus preached a headbanging sermon with no PowerPoint, no microphone, no notes, no ESV, just the Holy Ghost and his lips. We know 3,000 were saved from all nations, all types of Jews. And he told them in, in Acts 1.8 that you shall be my witnesses, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. We see this fleshed out. We are a part of um, Acts 1.8. We're still going to the ends of the earth, you and I. And his grace is still grabbing people to the ends of the earth. So as I close... There's a book called All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon talks about this artist. And this artist would look out of her window and she would see this raggedy, bummy, scruffy looking dude in the park every day, sort of begging for food. Well, this artist sees him and he, she says she wants to capture London in that day, exactly how it was, out of her window. So she goes to the dude, she says, yo, I want to paint your picture. Man, I'm an artist, you know, I'm from Northern Liberties, and, you know, I want to paint your picture. I'm from the art museum, and she's, he says, cool. He shows up to her house Wednesday at 12 o'clock. This dude done took a shower shaved, got a haircut, and got a suit. She said, now I don't want to paint you. He didn't come as he was. He thought he could clean himself up good enough to be good. The invitation today is to come just as you are. Broken, come. Depressed, come. Liars, come. Maybe you've been sexually abused. You come too. Come. Maybe your money is funny. Come. Maybe you've stolen. Maybe you've been in jail. Come. He echoes that in the call. 
Look what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in John, Jesus says this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then as I close, Revelation twenty two seventeen. I love this. The spirit and the bride say, say it, y'all. The spirit and the bride say, and let the one who hears say, and let the one who is thirsty, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Father, we do thank you for your word. It's the only truth that's true. Everything else is a lie except your word. It's reliable. It's perfect. It's never changing. And it's just good. Sweeter than the honey in a honeycomb. Thank you for your word. That's a light to our path. I pray for those who are here. Maybe there's one Lord that doesn't know you. I pray that that invitation would hit their hearts hard and that they would throw down their arms and surrender to you. I pray that they won't let any barriers block them from being gripped by your grace, that we would just cry out in repentance and place our faith and trust in the atoning work at the cross. Lord, we do honor you today and we thank you for you alone are good. So Lord, and those who are believers today who, have, who are thirsty and have access to the well, might you grant them a clear path that they might drink freely and long from this wellspring of life, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus our Savior. So God, have your way even now. I, continue, I pray that your spirit would continue to pierce and penetrate our hearts as a community that we might walk this out by faith and that we might love one another while doing so. Just as I am without one plea. Just as I am without one plea. In Jesus' name, amen.